And we're back. A pretty cool and pretty significant announcement out of Tesla today. And for more on that, let's welcome in Kenneth Bocour, host, of course, of the EV Revolution show heard on YouTube, who joins us now. Hey there, uh, Kenneth. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? Hope all is well. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Hope you're good, too. And uh, Tesla doing really well. I'd say they're actually uh, great because uh, they've uh, staked claim, Kenneth, to running the most productive auto factory in America now. Tell us a bit about this. Well, it's not only the market cap that they're going after, but also uh, the most pr productive, as you mentioned, factories. Yeah, their Fremont, California plant uh, produces in excess of uh, 8,000 vehicles a week, about 8550 or so which is more than Toyota's. Uh, they have a big plant in Kentucky, which is almost double the size, uh, and that produces uh, less, just under 8,500. Uh, 8, so it's a phenomenal achievement that Tesla has, and you're probably going to ask me, how do they do it? Well, that is my very next question. How did they get there? How do they do this? Have they got a new way of putting together cars, or is it just the fact that, uh, as we know, you don't have all of the mechanicals in an EV, so the engine assembly, is it not quite as complex and time-consuming, uh, maybe? You're absolutely correct. Boy, you've been learning a lot these last few months. Yeah. So remember, it is based <laughs> on that pretty simplified skateboard platform, right? Some electric motors, some uh, electronics, components. There's about 20% of the number of parts in an all-electric vehicle versus an internal combustion vehicle. So you're absolutely right. There's less complexity. It's a much more easier process to build the, you know, the frame, the chassis. Even the body work is relatively the same. They are, of course, kicking that up a, a notch in their Austin plant in Berlin with some more mega castings as they simplify even, even those components uh, to produce them out even faster once they get those going. But that's really the... The main idea is that it's just less parts uh, to put together, less complex, and they can move the line a lot faster, plus all the automation. Yeah, Kenneth, I knew this for two reasons. One is because I'm a big, big fan of the EV Revolution show on YouTube, so I learned a lot Appreciate of stuff. It. And secondly, I actually just took my combustion engine vehicle in for service earlier today. And the word of a lie, I was thinking about this because it was an oil change. And of course, when you do that, they find a few other things that are going wrong with some of the uh, mechanicals. And I thought to myself, boy, I don't know what it is. I'll have an EV vehicle, hopefully uh, sooner rather than later. But th these are problems that you most typically normally don't have when it comes to EVs, right? Yeah, that's correct. There's no fluids to change, really, you know, very minimal amount. Most of them are closed systems, like the coolant for the battery charger and the battery systems. That's about it. A little bit of stuff for AC, but everything lasts a long time. So your regular maintenance is virtually just checkups. You know, each manufacturer is going to have something a little bit different and spin it. But most of the time, your maintenance is just going to be rotating tires because with that instant torque, as we all know, and the acceleration and the extra weight you have to carry around with the batteries, um, you know, you're going to burn through tires just a little bit quicker if you have a lead foot. Okay, let's get back to a Tesla here. Now the most productive auto factory in America. What does that mean? I mean, it's bragging rights. That's one thing. But what does this mean for Tesla moving forward? Have they positioned themselves really to become the leader when it comes to EVs and the ability to get them in customers' hands quicker than maybe most, if not all, manufacturers? That is definitely what they're aiming for, at least in their short-term to medium uh, goals. Uh, obviously, they are the leading all-electric manufacturer, vehicle manufacturer today, producing just under a million for 2021, 900,000 and change. They want to up that to 2 million this year. They're going to open up, uh, of course, the Austin, Texas. They've got Berlin and Germany starting to come online, and they continue to revamp and scale up Shanghai and China as well. 
to increase volumes there. So they, they have big targets. And the only way to meet those targets is to be able to really scale production, get those economies as well from a cost and streamline everything so that the product's coming out the door a lot quicker. Now, remember, this process is a lot more simplified and you've got the big guys that are hunting for them, like the GMs and the Fords. GM just turned on uh, another factory and they were able to do that in a lot less time than they thought they would by converting it to electrification. There's zero one uh, plant in, in Michigan, uh, again, because of the simplified process. You know, I was thinking about that because when we talk about Tesla and EVs, I often think about, of all things, streaming and Netflix. And Netflix seemingly was out of the box first, and they had this huge, huge uh, lead, if you will, on so many other streaming services. But eventually, you know, the Disney Pluses, the Apple TV Pluses of the world, they get in the game, they, they catch up. Is that similar in streaming, what we're now seeing going on when it comes to the electrification of cars and, uh, you know, some of these more traditional car companies? They're playing catch up, but they're catching up quickly? They are. Again, most of these companies have a lot of experience in building automobiles. So it's just a matter of retooling, uh, revamping the supply chain. A lot of them, GM made some announcements today as well about uh, building another battery plant in Michigan. So lining up all these different aspects of the production of an all-electric vehicle so that they can start building these out in very large quantities as they shift their product matrix and mix from internal combustion over to uh plug-in hybrids, but mainly all electrics of this decade. And some have uh, shorter targets than others, but the only way to do that is to get those uh, factories online. Okay, one of the big issues, of course, and you and I have talked about this on and off, Kenneth, is the ability to charge and or to supercharge uh, your vehicle and how long it takes to fill an EV as opposed to fill your gas tank uh, right now. And uh, Tesla has also made another announcement in regards to that. Uh, they've come out with something they're calling the V3 Supercharger. Tell us a bit more about that, if you could. Yeah, so one of the, the great ideas that Elon has was the, the concept of of if you build it, they will come. So knowing that people that are going to buy electric cars are going to want a charging infrastructure to be there. So they built the supercharger network over the last many years. It's a very strong network. It's in all the major urban areas in North America and uh, around the globe in a lot of the countries. And they have their own technology. It's a proprietary plug. So they are going to start opening it up to non-Teslas, but right now it's still proprietary. And they continue to revamp that technology as well to increase charging uh, speeds. As you mentioned, one of the barriers to EV adoption is the perception of I've got to sit there for 30 minutes or 45 minutes or whatever and charge. But if I can get more current into the vehicle, I can pull more electricity, then I can charge that battery quicker and be on my way faster. So to try to get that you know, gas station-like experience of when we go in there, put gas in the car and we're 5, 10, 15 minutes, whatever it is, Try to bring those experiences down over time. So Tesla continues to invest in their supercharger infrastructure and technology, and now they've come out uh, announcing that they're going to up the charging speeds to around 324, 325 kilowatts, and it's currently at 250. So the higher the number, uh, you can equate that to pulling more electricity into the vehicle to charging the battery quicker. Yeah, Kenneth, do you think when it comes to these pending EV wars that that's going to be what makes the difference is, uh, one, the range, the amount of uh, mileage, kilometers you can get per charge on your EV, and just how fastly and how quickly you can replenish that charge? Exactly. That Those are really the main 
thoughts that consumers have when they're looking at an electric vehicle are those three things, the range, um, you know, how much capacity does my battery have? How long is it going to take to charge, you know, especially in winter and these kind of elements. So to be able to have a, a decent range for the majority of daily use cases and for, for good road tripping capabilities, to be able to have the ability to uh, reclaim that energy back through a charging infrastructure in a timely manner and in a very cost-effective manner are ways that are, that are going to accelerate the adoption to electric vehicles as we see forward. So I think we're, we're almost in that sweet spot. We've got another few years to go maybe till we actually you know, are at there. But you know, to have 300 miles and to be able to recoup 80% of that in about 15 to 25 minutes, I think is, is a pretty good experience right now. And it shouldn't really be a deterrent for most people. All right. Got to leave it there for now, Kenneth. Always mm -hmm. appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Take care. You too. Kenneth Bukur is host of the EV Revolution Show on YouTube. And we're back after a break. You're listening to The Jeff MacArthur Show. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.